From three years of full-time coaching, here are the three biggest mistakes that I made and consequent lessons that I've learned that I'm here to share with you through some real and embarrassing stories, lessons, and experiences. And these lessons are things that I wish I had known three years prior, but you live, you learn, you do, you grow, you laugh as I'm here to share everything that I've been through to help get you through your process just a little bit smoother and a little bit quicker. So let's get into it. First is the Dunning-Kruger effect. And although this is nothing new, I think it does a really good job of really visualizing and kind of summarizing what the first few years of coaching is really like. So year one is the peak of Mount Stupid because your rate of learning per day is exponential. You go from zero to 100 real quick. Relatively speaking, your ceiling, you're reaching it every day because you're learning and growing and accumulating so much from nothing at year zero, right? Year two is the valley of despair where you get humbled. You realize that you don't know nearly as much as you thought. Every topic that you learn from, you realize that there's so much depth in all of that. And you're like, uh-oh, I don't really know as much as I thought I did. And year three, I would say definitely is the beginning of the slope of enlightenment. So year one, peak of Mount Stupid, all excited. Year two, you get humbled. And year three, you start to uh, pick yourself back up, you know, dust off some of the, the, the dust and dirt and start to realize this is the long haul. I know a decent amount, not everything, but this is a long-term play. And I know my foundations, I'm starting to learn what I really do believe in because I've done it for three years now and I'm ready to get on with the rest of it. So mistake number one is thinking I had enough stories and you can exchange stories with anecdotes, lessons, whatever it may be. But basically that's what your coaching career is. You have to make decisions for what to do with your athletes, your co-coaches, whatever it may be. And what justifies that is what you've learned through your own stories, right? And although we can all quote textbooks and we've all taken the same classes, your unique lens makes you you that makes coaches want to work with you, athletes want to work with you. So you need these stories. And mistake number one was thinking that I had enough right off the bat. And a, uh, I'll start off with an embarrassing story first. A super well-known coach in, in my field in the speed training space. I got connected. My boss knows him because everyone knows everyone in this field. And I was super excited. And this wasn't my first round of networking phone calls. It was maybe like a year into networking. And some of my phone calls I'd had, I planned to be an hour and turn into three hours. Amazing. And some of my phone calls I had that I planned on being an hour turned into 45 minutes. And that was the longest 45 minutes of my life. And I'm super excited. This coach had been following for a while and we hop on the phone and I hit hang up. And this phone call lasted 27 minutes, the longest and most painful 27 minutes of my entire life. And that's not to his fault. It's to my fault. I didn't have enough to bring to the table. Now, although conversing conversations is a two-way street. I didn't have enough to make it a real back and forth. Once I went through my, my list of both stock standard questions that I like asking everyone and consequent questions that I'd had from researching and knowing and following that I wanted to know specifically from this person, the conversation had just ran out and it was so defeating, so crushing. I felt like I blew it probably because I, I did blow it, honestly, but it's just a phone call. So that was the first piece where it's like, once I realized what had went wrong, 
it was that I, I didn't have enough to bring to the, to the table. And this is one of the reasons how stories help and why stories are super important and you need more than you think. They help you to contribute to conversation, right? I just said two people have to make a convo. Well, it's a two-way street. And if it's just QA, 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 then it's an interview, right? And you can only interview and take from someone for so long. So when it's you ask them a question, they give an answer. You give an answer back to their answer, kind of building on it or sharing something of your own, right? Uh, a similar tangent or experience or maybe a contrary. And then they ask you a question about that. So it's really QA, AQ, and then it goes back and forth, right? So when you can respond to their answer, almost with another answer, that's when the conversations really take off. And that's what makes these conversations go from an hour to three. And next is that stories help you demonstrate expertise. And this might be obvious, right? The more stories and experience you have, well, then consequently, you're smarter and you have more knowledge. But I think it also really helps share nuance and the answer, the right answer for a lot of coaching, right? Even though it's math and science, it's black and white. It's super great in how you apply it and do it, right? The art of coaching. So my favorite coaches to consume their content of are the ones that can say, it depends. There's A, B, and C option, but here's why. Here are one super cool here is one super cool story for each that have made my lens answer. It depends why. And here's, here's another uh, cringy, <laughs> cringy story. Oh my gosh. I'm outing myself right now. So I had an interview. This was even before I started full-time coaching. This was the fall of my second year of my master's. And I had an interview with the professional baseball team for a uh, sports science role. And I was preparing for it, right? I had stalked the people that were going to be interviewing me. I researched the role, all this stuff. And as I was preparing, I was basically just like writing down stuff from my textbook and my notebook from the things that I like learned and read in class and maybe a few stories I, I had from being a graduate assistant. And basically when it came time to like answer these questions, it was just me like reciting stuff, right? Not really sharing my own like lens and experiences. I didn't I didn't have a chance to like demonstrate my expertise. I was just being like a, a, a copycat, right? Um, but fast forward, that would have been four years later. Last year, I think, if I'm at this right. Anyways, I'm interviewing with a professional uh, baseball team now. And again, and the first question after all the small talk saying hello was, you know, tell us about a time where you kind of change your data reporting process or something just kind of like that. And I shared the story about how a team that I worked with, I used to send them daily data, right? By noon, we had the athletes wellness, we had the load of the previous day. So the coaches could look at it in the you know 12 to three window before practice. And and it hit me during our, our staff meetings that that we only made decisions on a weekly basis so we planned out the whole week just during that weekly meeting and then we just ran it and then we reflected back and then we planned and it was kind of on this weekly kind of rhythm so i decided to change my reporting process to just giving the coaches the summary of the previous week and a little foreshadow of the upcoming week and getting feedback from them 
they felt way less underwhelmed. They were actually excited to look at the data because it aligned more with where their headspace was at, right? Their headspace was on this weekly kind of decision, discussion decision model. Now, with that being said, I was still looking at it daily for any kind of big red flags that would come up with the athlete's data. But now I worked backwards from the data discussion decision to what are these decisions we're making? How frequently? Well, how frequently are these conversations happening? And then I have to pick data that supports that. And I got super good feedback on that answer during this interview. And not only to say like, oh, well, you have this data discussion decision, so you work backwards, but to share a real life experience to show that I've been there and done that to where I can talk through how how kind of painful it was and how the feedback of the coaches also supported this process, both how the pre was bad and how the post was better. So stories help you out because you contribute to conversations better. And also you can explain the nuances, right? The gray of this field. So lesson, you need a lot more stories. And that's mistake number one. So mistake number two is thinking what was on paper really caused improvements. So of course, when you're learning about programming and periodization and you write your first program and you do it to completion for eight, 12 weeks, whatever it may be, you think, oh my gosh, this is amazing. All I have to do is, is map out perfectly every set and rep and load and all of this stuff and it's all going to work out great. But the biggest moment for me that I realized that's not the case, that assuming what was on paper is what really caused improvement was a high school baseball group of mine. I had 12 athletes that trained for 12 weeks during the, you know, August to kind of November, December-ish. And I had a group of athletes, three athletes that continued kind of beyond that 12 weeks. And once all my baseball athletes stopped training come February and March for tryouts, I had gotten a lot of good feedback from the parents and athletes of this group that the training was awesome. But it was interesting reflecting back that the the athletes and parents that were the most satisfied with their results were the three athletes that just kept training. And I didn't do anything different with them. I didn't do anything special with them. I didn't read a new book or a new or listen to a new podcast during that those first 12 guys were done and those three guys kept going. Nothing had really changed. They they just trained longer, right? So realizing that Nothing was different on paper. They just kept going. That was a super, super big eye-opening moment for me, um, kind of learning what really caused improvement. And next is with our college athletes, every summer we call vacation PRs, right? So these college athletes are, you know, their training age is, you know, anywhere from one, two to six years. They, they get after it. They crush training, you know, every Monday, Wednesday, Friday, basically an hour of speed work, 45 minutes of lifting or so, plus everything else that they're doing on their own for their sports specific skill development, which I'm going to assume is a lot of conditioning, a lot of just yardage out on the field and stuff like that. And every summer there's uh, some improvement at the beginning, just getting back to good training. And they've taken some time off after the, the spring semester was done. And there's this lull in kind of the middle of the summer, you know, PR is kind of stale and the athletes are a little bit not beat up, but just kind of like fatigued just from the summer. Right. And everyone goes away around the end of July, early August for a week or two, and they come back and they have another week or two of training 
and they run and jump the best they have the entire summer. And again, it wasn't that the program changed. It wasn't that uh, I, I learned something in those two week, one or two weeks that they're gone. They just had a chance to let the fatigue go away from the 10, 12 weeks of super intense five days a week, six, seven days a week of training, right? So a super cool story where fitness, sorry, fatigue masks fitness. So if you really want to perform, you have to let the fatigue go away to let your performance and your fitness really shine. So you can program, oh, at 12 weeks, this should be our peaking and all of this stuff. Well, if you're not truly deloading, if not truly tapering, if you're not truly taking a step back and letting the fatigue actually go away, right? You could on paper in here, everything looks all great. But if they're running miles and miles and doing lessons and all of this stuff, playing pickup, well, they're not truly deloading, right? But when they're on vacation, yeah, they're probably going to work out, but not nearly to the extent or volume that they would if they were home. And that's what really causes the performance to shine is that they actually have deloaded and actually have let the fatigue go away. So the lesson is that it's good, consistent training that moves the needle. And whatever it may be, whether it's for a deload and a peak or just training in and of itself, realizing that although you have to just do good training, it has to make sense on paper. It's more about who can accumulate the most weeks of training and whose body can be in a really good spot to show their their gains is uh, what really matters. And now mistake number three is thinking that my athletes' expectations will always align with mine. And this was probably the hardest one to kind of wrap my head around and kind of accept. And I describe it how every athlete, every coach that comes in to say hello, every coworker, whatever it may be, has a list of basically one to three expectations or things that are going to happen throughout the course of the next hour. We'll just go with the athlete example, right? So they're going to train for an hour. They're, they assume one to three things are going to happen. And what I think is a fair list, what probably most coaches could agree with of one to three things they expect from a training session is that we're going to work hard, we're going to pursue our goals, and we're going to have a good time doing it. I don't think anyone can really argue with that, right? But is that list going to apply the same to a CFL veteran, NFL veteran that's been in the league for five plus years versus a kid who, who is slotted as the number one varsity starter versus the kid who's just trying to make the freshman team versus the, the 13-year-old whose mom just is crazy and wants them to train, just drops them off twice a week, every week, you know? So it can be as explicit as saying, hey, every time you come in here, what do you expect? What do you want to happen, right? What's your list of things? Or you can kind of just read between the lines and be super conscious of, of their body language, what they're saying, and all the small things that, that could pick up, that you could pick up to kind of be a detective and realize what their list of three things is. So this is not to say that you just let your athletes off the hook and you can't raise the bar, but it's a combination of, and this is the lesson where you both have to raise the bar, right? Coaching is helping others achieve more than what they thought possible slash could do on their own, as well as meeting them where they're at, right? And although you might think the maximum, how do we do the most? And you can totally achieve this thing. 
if you're 100% dialed in and super focused and whatnot, well, is that fair to expect of them, right? Is that fair to expect 100% all in all the time? Versus if you say, I know you can achieve more than you think, and I'm going to push you and challenge you and help you get there, but you can hold that standard. It's going to be two completely different ways to do it, right? The kid who's just trying to make the freshman team versus the kid who's trying to get drafted as they're a junior or senior in college, right? So it's not to lower your standards or lower the bar. It's just saying you have to be conscious of where others are at and kind of how quickly you can try to bring them to the bar. I, I think might might be a, a, a better way of putting it. So those are my three lessons. And number one is just understand the Dunning-Kruger effect that it happens, that you're going to get all excited, you're going to be humbled, and then it's going to be a long process from there. Understand that some of this you just have to experience yourself, right? If you if you uh, showed young, eager Coach Matt this video or podcast three years ago, I would be like, okay, cool, makes sense. And it probably would have been in one ear, out the other, more or less, to be honest. But to live and do this really just makes it cement and stick, right? Similar to how in conversations, you know, I can say, oh, well, Coach Big Toe says that your ethics expectations all, won't always align with yours, right? But when you have a cool story or two to illustrate that, that lesson just sticks so much more, not only for you, but also for the person you're talking to. And next is to give yourself some grace. And uh, this is probably the one that I'm going to fight myself most with saying, to be honest, where, you know, I think perfectionism is kind of cliche, but to understand that, yes, it is a process. And yes, of all of the things, this coaching is a skill in and of itself. So just giving yourself some grace and I'm going to make some mistakes, but if you're conscious, if you're learning, um, I think, uh, I think you and others can, can understand that it is a process and last is just keep coaching. So I think the, the foundation of a lot of these things is that I, I needed three years. I don't even know how many thought tens of thousands of hours I've coached that I needed to really understand and accept and feel comfortable enough to make this episode to share kind of these lessons with you as well as the foundation of getting more stories, right? The foundation of learning what really causes improvement, right? How many perfect pieces of paper you, you had to make to realize that that's not everything in causing improvement to coaching so many athletes at so many different levels in their career that you realize that sometimes you just got to meet them where they're at, right? Because if we're playing the long-term uh, in coaching, you can't just force, force, force. It's a give and a take, right? So, Hopefully that made sense. Please comment or DM me on social media, Coach Big Toe on Instagram and Twitter, your biggest light bulbs. And uh, you got this. Happy coaching.